Make sure to give my dad a five-star review. Get, make sure to like and subscribe to his YouTube. And thank you for listening and enjoy the show. show. <laughs> The 2020 election, in fact, was secure and accurate. But the fact that an election is secure and accurate is not the only thing that we need elections to be, right? Like, it is true that it was secure and accurate. And the, the so, and so the second thing we need to hold in our mind is that it was secure and accurate because a lot of people did a lot of stuff that they should never have been expected to do. Hey, welcome back, Faithful Politics listeners and viewers, if you are watching on YouTube. Um, Josh is still out this week. Um, currently, he's out trying to catch Pikachu on Pokemon Go, so hopefully he will return next week. Um, but this week, we are honored um, to have back with us Jessica Huseman, who is the editorial director for Vote Beat, um, and uh, Walter, her, her child, her dog child. My my very small son, uh, who <laughs> who apparently refuses to be anywhere but my lap right now. I'm just and I'm leaning into it. Yes, no, that's fine. Uh, the majority of the interview is going to be with Walter, so it actually it's yeah. good that you're holding him. Uh, he has a lot to say on issues. Yeah. Of- specifically yes um, yes uh so so my my first question to you walter is yesterday was national dog day how do you feel about that okay all right he's he's a little camera shy that's that's fine that that is perfectly fine maybe we'll we'll circle back but uh but yeah how uh how goes everything jessica oh it goes i mean you know covering voting continues to be an incredibly weird thing to do um Yesterday, I had to explain to someone why um, Second Peter two ten or one ten. I apologize, was not in fact about election security, which was the weirdest conversation <laughs> I've ever had to have. But um, you know, I, I felt like my uh, my years of CCD at Catholic school and. Uh, <laughs> My years of studying election administration had to really come full circle in that moment. Um, <laughs> it's, funny. it's like a perfect blending of all your life's experiences and just one conversation. Yes. I was like, you know what? When it says here that uh, we should ensure that our election is secure, I'm pretty sure that it's talking about <laughs> our personal choice to follow God rather That's than... So funny. An election. Um, and, wow. And so it was very strange. Yeah. No. And and uh, you know it's it's it it is kind of a, it's a weird time for a lot of different reasons. Actually, you know, uh, we're recording this on Friday, and just yesterday there was a big you know attack in Afghanistan. Really unfortunate. A couple of service members lost their lives. Um, and you know, even, even though even though we're not necessarily going to spend a lot of time there, I'm, I'm curious to kind of just get your, get your take, you know, on the whole situation there. Uh, do you, like if you have any family members that are in the service, like how, how, how's that, how's that hitting you? Uh, I mean, you know, I feel very, I mean, I have one cousin who is, who has been in Afghanistan doing this work. Um, like let it, you know, making sure that people get out safely. And, but I, I've had 
that same cousin and also several other family members serve over time. And, you know, I obviously have no connection to the military in my own personal history, but, you know, this war started when I was in middle school. Um, and I am now in my thirties. And so it's, it's a very strange thing to, to have seen literally my entire adult life and most of my childhood be about this in some sense, right? And for it to come to an end and feel like those 20 years that I spent like following this and caring about it and watching several of my cousins fight for is was just pointless the whole time. I mean, and I know that there, like, you know, certainly there were things that were achieved, right? But it it feels very debilitating somehow, even though I have only been watching as an observer to watch it fall apart so fast uh, because it's gone on for so long. Yeah, yeah. No, the, it, it it is kind of weird. We had... um. Um, last, last week's episode, we had, um, a green beret, actually a good friend of mine. I, I served with him in the army and, and, um, he was on just to kind of talk about his experience. And he was actually in charge of training the Afghan forces, um, Ooh. on like how to, you know, be self-sufficient. And, and it was, it was really interesting just to hear him talk about how, like, he felt personally responsible for what's going on because he's like, if maybe, you know, maybe if I tried harder to, maybe if I taught better, you know, like, and, and it was just so, so um, impactful just to hear, like, the the personal responsibility that he felt uh, for what, what happened, you know, and he's like, he's like, I don't really blame Biden, I don't blame anybody, you know, like, it's just, you know, I only have myself to blame, you know, <laughs> this isn't like a, a presidential blame game, although that's, you know, what's going to happen, but um yeah, so it was really powerful, and and I agree. Yeah, it's weird. Do, do you feel any of that sense of personal responsibility? Um, no, not really. Um, primarily because I I served in Iraq. I never got a chance to make it to Afghanistan. Um, and uh, but I for you. Yeah, I, but but when I, when I was in a, when I was in Iraq, one of the stories that we were sort of like lamenting on was the fact that we we were also training the Iraqis how to be self sufficient before we pulled out of there, and we we were on the mission that caught Saddam Hussein, and and uh, and we were we were kind of laughing. We're like, yeah, we remember when we caught him. We were thinking, yeah, any time now, we're going to be going home, right? You know, <laughs> like and and no, like. <laughs> yeah, any any day now, any day now, you know, and uh that never, didn't ever happen. You know, I I mean, feel free to cut this out of the podcast entirely. <laughs> it's not relevant in any way, but the sure. when I was in college, I worked for a debate camp that was sponsored by Tommy Franks, um, the four star general. Mm-hmm. And it was the most bizarre thing I've ever done. It was called Four Star (laughs) Debate. And it took place at Oklahoma Christian University. Um, And Tommy Franks lives in Hobart, Oklahoma. And so he made all of the kids at this camp who were like 15 and 16 go to his leadership museum in Hobart, which is about (laughs) himself. (laughs) 
It's like the uh-huh. leadership museum and like do this dumb stuff all day. And one, uh, so I've been to, as a result of working for this camp all through college, I've been to this, I've been to this museum like six times and um, it is just a museum in which like Tommy Franks like has displayed his old report cards and done like various strange exhibits. And one of them, I kid you not, I like, I walked in the first time, I think I was 20 when I first saw this and I was like just stared at it for a while because I think at 20 I didn't really like understand the full impact of it I was just like this is the weirdest thing anyone's ever made (laughs) and it was just a it was the bomber jacket that George W. Bush had given him Mm -hmm. in the days before I guess the invasion of Afghanistan at Camp David and then also a TV that showed the planes running into the towers on loop. And wow. it, it was in front of that TV that he would tell this like dramatic story about how like Donald Rumsfeld called him and he was like, what do we do? And he was like, we invade Afghanistan. And so like that is my only personal connection. <laughs> Afghanistan is like that. And, and it's a yeah. weird one to have. And so when as I'm watching all of these horrible images of Afghans like scrambling to get out. And I, I'm just like sitting there thinking about him being like, Afghanistan, we must go like in front of a jacket and a loop. Uh-huh. Like it, it's, it's a very strange di- like juxtaposition. Yeah. Yeah. No, no kidding. I, I'm really interested. Uh, next, um, Next week, I'm talking to uh, Olivier Knox, who was covering George Bush during that that time. Uh, for, he's uh, lovely. He's a great guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and, uh, and and you know, and he was there for the shoe throwing incident. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Um, so is, yeah, these are these are like formative media moments in my <laughs> in like my early teens. I'm like somebody who yeah. the president. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's funny that that was like the craziest thing that ever happened, like for for a small t- amount of time. I know, I know. All right, well, so, so let, let's let's talk about some. Um, I don't know, voting election stuff. So you're in Texas currently, right? Um, yeah. So um, is so tell me, is Matthew McConaughey running for governor? That's the you know rumor. what I mean. Maybe. (laughs) I kind of hope he does. Like the, you know, we had Kinky Friedman run like twice. So if Kinky Friedman can run for president or not president for governor, then I feel like it would be unfair of me to discourage Matthew McConaughey's. (laughs) Um, It's like, I don't know if he's Trumpy enough. I, you know what? I don't think that he is, but it might, but it, but it might work, right? It might be pro- provocative enough to <laughs> to turn out the non-voters in this state. I don't know. I mean, like yeah. people ask me all the time. They're like, "What would get Texas to vote?" Right? Because like most people here don't vote, even if they're registered. And so, like, I have no idea what the answer is. I've come up with several different answers for that question. <laughs> And they have all been wrong. And so, like, if Matthew McConaughey is what it takes to get, like, you know, my aunt to vote, then 
that's fine with me. Uh, like, how about how about um, how about Alan West? Could he could he pull the votes? Oh, let me tell you something about Alan West. <laughs> I that 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 debate camp that I worked for. Um, mm. I worked for them because it was run by the National Center for Policy Analysis, which is the very think tank. I, I, I worked there for only a short period of time as this transition was occurring. But this is the think tank that fired its CEO, whose name was John Goodman, not the John Goodman in the movies, um, for like various inappropriate behaviors over time mm-hmm. and hired Alan West to take his place. Alan West drove this tiny think tank into the ground <laughs> in a period of two years and they are now suing him. And oh so when people are like, should Alan West run the state of Texas? Like, <laughs> he couldn't even run a think tank in Dallas. Like there are no think tanks in Dallas. There's just yeah. one, right? It's like, it doesn't take that much to be like think tank in Dallas. And <laughs> Somehow he like ballooned their debt to two million dollars or something. So anyway, he's he's a fascinating man, and uh, Texas is going to do great things in the future. I can feel it. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Okay. Well, what about um? And so in Virginia, I just saw this recently. I don't know if you had a chance to to take a look at it. Um, the Republican Party of Virginia um, just announced that they're suing. Um, the let's see the Virginia State Board of Elections because uh, Terry McAuliffe didn't sign his declaration of candidacy um, filed by the Democratic gubernatorial uh, person that's running. Have you heard about this? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, Josh Bertram here, faithful host of the Faithful Politics Podcast. I want to let you know about a compelling new spinoff the Faith Roundtable, where I'll be interviewing top faith leaders, theologians, and scholars to unpack the pressing issues that are shaping the church in America today. We'll dive into topics like faith and public life, social justice, and how we can engage our communities more effectively. Make sure you don't miss any of our enlightening conversations by subscribing to it on our YouTube channel. Join me at the Faith Roundtable, where deep discussion meets thoughtful insight. Vaguely, and it's so, it, I mean, it's so stupid. I mean, like, they may technically be right on the merits, but like, why do this? This is so dumb. Um, anyway, yeah, yeah, I like, I feel like this is what this is what politics has become. Like, this is what elections have become. Like, not like we're not willing to just sort of good faith make assumptions that everyone is doing what they mm-hmm. should do. like we have to we like we have to send everyone in to catch any minor mistake and then blow a minor mistake up into fraud or or some <laughs> other crazy terrible thing when it's really just like oh i forgot to sign this piece of paper but that doesn't invalidate the fact that like several thousand people voted for me in addition <laughs> to the several thousand people that voted for you. Like the math doesn't change, but like mm-hmm. the 
rules can. And so mm-hmm. these are like, I feel like I've been talking about like this dumb stuff for years. And, yeah. <laughs> and that's just what I talk about now. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's kind of, it's kind of weird. Like when I read that, I was thinking to myself, if Terry McAuliffe wins in Virginia, which he probably will. I mean, I, I, r- rumor has it that Bill Crystal is going to be endorsing him um, soon, which is a really weird endorsement, but hey, more power to him, you know, <laughs> like, and, and uh, I can just, I can see it now. I can, I can see like the Amanda Chases of Virginia, you know, <laughs> coming out and saying it's a fraudulent election, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Glenn, Glenn Youngkin is really the, uh, the, the governor of, of Virginia or Ralph Northam still. I don't really know how that would work because it's kind of weird here in Virginia. It is weird. It's very weird. I just, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, this happens all the time. Like these, you would be surprised that like a lot of what I end up like worried about is the, is the like small period of time in between like when you announce your candidacy and when the votes are cast, because in that time, like these it almost never makes the news because these fights are so dumb. But like in that intervening time, the people who file paperwork at the county clerk's office or the state secretary of state's office, depending on the level of government, are like looking at every piece of paperwork the other candidate files to see any problems with it. I mean, so it surprises me that there was a signature missing at all, because this has been kind of like a long running tango that everyone in local politics has been doing for years. It's just like obsessively reading every document their opponent files (laughs) to find a problem with it. Mm -hmm. So it surprises me that there was an error. But this is this is like shockingly not new. Like the amount of of money that candidates spend to have lawyers who are not inexpensive just like read paperwork to make sure it's appropriately signed is truly stunning. Like mm. a waste of yeah. time and money. Mm. Well, speaking of wasting time and money, so what's going on in Arizona with voting? What is not going on in Arizona? <laughs> Lord in heaven. The so you know the the folks there are preparing to announce like release their audit results um several months after they were supposed to have released them um and arizonan people who know that a company named cyber ninjas hasn't in fact done a real audit of their system have sort of done a uh, preemptory strike uh, on on all of this, and they've been sort of like attacking the process that Cyber Ninjas used, and and calling into question any legitimacy that they may try to claim out of this election, and and so it's really like it's a bit of it, like everything is kind of coming to a head right now in Arizona, and and I think that. And I and it's becoming more interesting because and I can't believe that I'm about to talk about this out loud because it's such a dumb thing. But there is this man named Spider, <laughs> which is something that I said. And I would also like to make clear that this is Spider with a Y. OK, so oh, this is that makes it even worse. Mm-hmm. OK, it's <laughs> like he claims to be, although I don't know who the hell this man actually is, claims to be some sort of cybersecurity expert and had worked with the Sydney Powells of the world and the cyber ninjas of the world to like 
help make these audits happen. And a couple of days ago, in the middle of the night, right, like, I think it was probably like 11 p.m. in Arizona at the time that this happened. I don't know where this man is supposed to live, but in Arizona, it was 11 p.m. He's like, starts tweeting and he's like, I'm Spider and here's what I have to say. And it's this cascade of a Twitter thread that I am like still up and working on a Texas story at this time. And I start getting text messages. Again, this is like midnight my time. I start getting text messages from like the weirdest people, like a guy who worked in cybersecurity for elections at the Trump administration. And then also like the former secretary of state from Maine. And like, and, and I'm getting these texts and, and they all say like, are you seeing what spider is tweeting? And I'm like, what? And so I get online and he has receipts. I don't, again, I don't know if any of this is real. I don't even know if spider is a real person. And he's like, I was used as an expert in this case, which is true. He was, um, despite never revealing his identity. Um, and it's a grift and I have the receipts and all this is, is like a fundraising stunt for these people. And he's like pasting all this information. And I was just like, what's happening? Are y'all about to each other alive? Could this, could this go away soon? Maybe. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, but you know, I mean, it, it, we've got in Arizona, it's like that meme where it's like, this place has everything, right? Like, we've got a guy named Spider claiming to have been scammed. We have um, a set of Senate Republicans who hired a company named Cyber Ninjas. We have Cyber Ninjas. There are bamboo. There is like, I don't know, rat droppings from the North Koreans or something in the ballot box. Like, they're everything. Everything has happened. There's a clown, right? Like, there's like a literal clown. There was a circus at one point. Like, this is a whole, like, what's happening in Arizona? What is not happening in Arizona? It's wow place on earth right now and the worst it's kind of like arizona is like a scene from lost if you've ever seen that show and it's like you don't really know what's going to happen you just you just kind of know something's going to happen and it's going to be really fantastical <laughs> somewhere yeah, or another like almost magic uh and it, like <laughs> in this case it's just like horrible bad you know yeah yeah and and the so so the the cyber ninjas um, just just so I can I can kind of like put it in context is it cyber ninjas are working for the like general assembly they're working for like the state um, they're working for the senate and the senate republicans have taken ownership of this so like for simplicity's sake I will say that they are working for the senate republicans um, they have finalized whatever audit it is that they have decided to do. Although it is my understanding that their attempt to check into the security of the actual hardware itself rather than the counts on is, is ongoing. Um, but they, yes, they're, they're under the employ of the Senate Republicans. Mm, got it. And so, so what is the like Arizona secretary of state or AG's like position on, on all this, I'm sure they have to have like some opinion, right? 
Well, it's interesting because so the AG of, of Arizona is a Republican and is has kind of sort of been like, I didn't do this. The Senate ha- the Senate has its own subpoena power. You'll have fun. Um, although has not been helpful when asked to be. So like I, I don't really know what his position is. But the Secretary of State for Arizona is a Democrat and is like not here for these shenanigans. And so she has, I mean, they're only doing this to one county, which is Maricopa County. There are only nine counties in the state of Arizona. Maricopa County contains Phoenix, by far the largest county. And so this is about 2.1 million ballots. It is an a, a lot, a lot of voting machines, um, like millions of dollars worth of equipment. And Katie Hobbs, the Secretary of State, has now decertified the entire machine, like, holdings of Maricopa County, because her position, and this is true, is that federal certification is invalidated if the machines are like are messed with by an unlicensed third party. And so they've had these machines, they've been tinkering around with them. She's like, I can't guarantee that these are the the same machines in the same state that we had them certified. So they're decertified now. And so now Maricopa County has to not only figure out how to move forward with their public because of this spectacle that's gone on for, you know, eight months at this point, but also figure out how to recertify their system or get a new one. And so, you know, they've put this, they've put this county in a really terrible position. Wow. So, so like the, to replace them, I mean, that would be an expense for the county, right? And they'd have to come up with a couple million dollars. And like, what what are the odds of that happening? Million dollars. And Arizona has recently banned any county from using private donations to fund elections. Um, wow. So la- in 2020, there were two nonprofit organizations that distributed around $350 million to counties for the pandemic that they had gotten from private grant makers. Um, And they passed that through to counties and states to buy election equipment. And Arizona, all nine counties in Arizona got some of this money. Um, Some of them used it to greater effect than others, but they all got some. And now that's illegal. Um, Even though the audit that Arizona Republicans are doing with cyber ninjas is being paid for largely by private donations. Election administrators themselves are now banned by state law from doing this. There has been no federal funding disbursement this year to federal elect to elections. And the state of Arizona has not distributed any money for this purpose. So I don't know where, where Maricopa County is going to get this money. It's not a small County. They are not struggling financially like a lot of other counties are. So it could be a lot worse than it is, but it is still, and I want to be clear about this, very bad. Hmm. Wow. I mean, so so th- there there's an election coming up, right? Like this mm-hmm. this year, like in November. Yeah. <laughs> like how 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 how's that gonna go? I mean, with everything you just said. <laughs> you know what? I I don't know. I mean, like there and and see this is this is what I think most people don't really like. I think people know this, but I don't think that they I don't think that they sort of process what it means. Like 
there are elections that go on all the time. Like, you know, I think that we think about voting and we think like you vote every four years. And if you're really involved, you vote maybe every two. Um, And but really, like you could be voting every six months or so if you voted in every election that was happening around you that you're allowed to vote in. And so these election offices have to keep going. Um, they, it, like the, the Maricopa County Board of Elections has been holding elections and like facilitating county and state and city and school board and community college committee hearings and elections this whole time. And so, you know, I, I think that it sets them up for not only poor performance in the 2022 midterms and 2024 elections, but like they're still having to do elections right now. And so they they have some machines that they can use right now because, you know, they have like they didn't have to turn over every single machine. Um, and so but it's still a it's still a process that is going to take an incredible amount of time to recover from. Mm, got it. Uh, do do you think we'll ever see the the ninja report? Oh yeah, we will eventually. I mean, I don't think it's going to make any sense at all. And I don't, and I don't think, and I, and I hope that news organizations treat it appropriately. I mean, like, I don't think that, I think that at this point we know enough about this process and how it went to know that whatever results they get, they come out with are not going to be valid and they won't even be helpful for us to understand the process better. And so I will read the report because I have to, it's my job, but I don't intend to write about it. And I don't, and I don't intend to link to it ever because why would I write about or link to information that does not advance the public's knowledge? And so I hope that, in the media coverage that follows the, re- the release of this report, that they, that media organizations take essentially the exact same approach, which is like, I'm CNN, I'm MSNBC, I'm whatever, and I have a copy of this. Let's not talk about the content of the report at all. Let's instead have the chair of the Maricopa, Maricopa County election board sit for an interview about the effects of this process on the system, right? Because it, it is news, right? Like this report is news. And I don't mean to suggest that it's not. And I don't mean to suggest that reporters should just like ignore it and pretend like it's not there. But what I'm saying is that the story is not their findings, because we already know that their findings are wrong. So why repeat the findings? Why don't we just like arrive at the premise like this report happened, there was a lot of negative externalities as a result of it, like our machines have been decertified, we have millions of dollars in technology that we now need to buy with money for voters distrust is way up. Like, any of those buckets is an appropriate way to cover this going forward. An appropriate way to cover this going forward would not be to say, let's see what they found and write Mm. a story about that. Yeah. You know, that's interesting because, because you, you recently wrote um, something in your newsletter, which um, for anybody watching or listening, you guys should all subscribe um, called when, when news media contribute to the misinformation hellscape. 
Um, and, and it seems like the, the media does have a bit of responsibility kind of in this space, right? Like, like they, they could either forward, yeah, they could, they could forward the report, um, and let people reach their own conclusions or they can ignore it and let people find it themselves because people will find it themselves. I, I kind of think of it like, um, like the, gosh, now I'm drawing a blank, the, the secret Brit. British spy report, you know, <laughs> of Trump and Russia and peeing in a hotel room, you know, like, yeah. like that kind of thing. It, it, it's such a weird thing. I mean, I think that, you know, I think that journalists think that they're responsible if they don't address this at all, um, which is more responsible, I think, than, than presenting it as fact. Um, but I think in this space becomes confusing, right? Like, I think, Elections exist on a plane that a lot of other jobs exist on too. Like, for example, everyone thinks that they would be a better teacher than their kid's third grade teacher because <laughs> they like went to school once and also mm-hmm. they have a kid and they're like, I could teach a kid, even though that's like <laughs> not true at all. And yeah. and and I think voting is the same way, right? Like they're like, I vote. How hard could it be to count? a ballot. Uh, (laughs) And so I know how this process works. And so the real danger of misinformation in the voting space is that people read things like the shit that they put out in this audit. And they say to themselves, I know what these words are. So I think (laughs) that I understand what this means. And then they accept it as fact, right? Like it makes logical sense to them as somebody who knows a very small amount about voting, that this could be true. And so they begin to believe it. And so then they go into the county election office. And as soon as something happens that they don't understand, even if it's innocuous, they take Mm -hmm. that as evidence that the fraud is real. So, you know, I mean, I've had experiences in which people are like, oh, there's fraud going on. I walked in and um, someone had signed by my name in the polling book. And I'm like, okay. And then you go look at the polling book with them. And it's like the woman who should have signed below her accidentally signed on her line. And it's very clearly like, instead of saying Colleen Smith, it (laughs) says like, Colleen Tran and Colleen Tran signed on Colleen Smith's name on it. And you're like, this looks like an accident to me. And she's <laughs> like, no, Colleen Tran is trying to impersonate me. Like, th- this, is, <laughs> this, is the, this is the stuff we deal with. And so I think that there's like, there's a different way that you deal with this, which is like saying, this is, this is false. Here's what they said. And here's why it's false. And you sandwich it in between like, it's false. Here's what's false. And here's why it's false. And that is the appropriate way to, I think, deal with cybersecurity issues um, in general, but especially here. And so I hope that the local media does do that. <laughs> wow. Now, now, do you do you think with everything going on in Arizona that like other states are going to try to like replicate this, you know, say like, hey, those, those cyber ninjas gave us a pretty complimentary report about Trump winning Maricopa County. You know, we should we should call them up. Maybe they'll find the same thing. Yeah, I do. I think this is going to spread. I mean, I don't know how quickly it will spread or how effectively, but there is a guy named Doug Mastriano in 
Pennsylvania, who's a representative there, who is trying to get an Arizona-style audit to Arizona. He's had mixed results um, in terms of success. Hasn't happened yet. Um, You know, there have been legislators in Texas who've openly talked about this. There, There is a sort of like a startup outfit in Georgia that's trying to get ballot images to do their own audit. They have recently been denied. So I don't think that that's going to go anywhere. But this is popping up everywhere. And like, if you talk to people who have participated in some way in the Arizona audit as a volunteer or as an organizer or whatever, they say like, oh, we get calls all the time. And that's true. I mean, like, there have been state reps that have gone and like toured the counting facility in Arizona from other states. You know, Briscoe Kane did it in Texas, who is, you know, he's a joy and a treasure. But um, Wait, is, is he the guy that, that you've had like Twitter arguments with that I love reading? <laughs> yes. yes it is. Who like won't ever give me any evidence of anything that he claims unless it's a comment <laughs> from a man named Fat Daddy on, on Facebook. <laughs> Which he did, in fact, screenshot and present to me as evidence of voter fraud. I, so yes, I mean, like, my, like the 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 tenure of my reporting in Texas is apparently just like yelling at people in the state capitol and not getting <laughs> answers, and then coming back to Dallas, continuing to be frustrated that I received no answers, and then trying to get them on Twitter, uh, and shockingly. <laughs> Twitter is a little bit more effective than like knocking on their office door, which I maybe is a metaphor for our current state of affairs. Yeah. A very sad metaphor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, speaking of Texas, the, um, um, the bunch, the Democrats, I guess, came back home. Finally. I don't think, I don't think any of them were arrested. Um, maybe they were, but, um, but they they voted, didn't they? Didn't they vote on this on this you know very controversial election bill? There, um, are, are you are you following that story? Yes. So they have not voted on the bill, but they have voted to start the floor debate on it, which I believe is going to happen today. And so I would imagine that this bill passes by the weekend, um, and. Yeah, and, and there's not much anybody's going to be able to do about it. Mm. Now, w- w- what's so bad about the bill? You know, the things that have made news about this bill, I am not really that concerned about. I mean, like, and I know that that sounds very cynical, and let me let me explain why I mean this. So, people have really tried to associate the Texas bill with the bills passed in Florida and Georgia, and they've tried to sort of package them as similarly structured, similarly typed bills. And I think that the motivation for all three bills is definitely the same. But if you take a look at the Georgia and Florida bills, they are far more thematically consistent um, and logical than the Texas bill. Both of those bills were written in states in which vote by mail was widely practiced, right? Anybody in Florida or Georgia could vote by mail for any reason. And that had been the case for quite a while. In Texas, you cannot vote by mail unless you're over the age of 65. Um, In Georgia and Florida, there are drop boxes. In Texas, there are no drop boxes. You know, so Florida and Georgia actually had thematic things that they could legislate, right? Like they could say, we have a lot of vote by mail. 
let's have less vote by mail. Like that could be the point of the bill. But in Texas, there were so there were there was so little to fall. Like they, there was just nowhere to go. And so you can't restrict vote by mail more than you already have, really. You can't remove drop boxes that don't exist. You can't create less opportunities to participate online because we don't even have online voter registration. So they're trying to legislate on the margins in ways that I don't think would actually disenfranchise that many people, right? Like the reason that we're talking, and, and I don't mean that we're, we have a great bill here. I mean that those people were already disenfranchised here, which is a sadder thing to say. Um, and so the reason that we're talking about 24-hour voting in Harris County, and that's what you hear Democrats use as their biggest example, like I just want to be clear that 24-hour voting happened one time in one county, like once. Like that was a thing that one county did in 2020 to deal with the vote-by-mail influx. And then it never it didn't happen before and it didn't happen since. And we are talking about 24-hour voting as if it's going to disenfranchise every person of color in the entire state of Texas. It is not, it didn't even exist before 2020. And it only existed in the one place. We're all going to be fine. But what the problem that I see in the bill is that it's so badly written that election administrators don't know how to follow it. And like, this is what no one's been paying attention to. Like they've been paying attention to the 24 hour voting and they've been paying attention to the fact that like for a small amount of time, they limited Sunday voting. And like those things are just kind of objectively bad and racist and whatever. And those are easy to talk about. But what's less easy to talk about is like, this bill doesn't know how voter registration data works. And so because it doesn't know how voter registration data works, has asked it to do things it cannot do. And so this the county is going to spend millions of counties are going to spend millions of dollars meeting security requirements built into a bill written by people who don't understand computers. And so they're going to have to be putting like outdated security systems onto newer machines that serve no purpose and cost a lot of money. And that's what we're not talking about. Like we're not talking about Mm. the actual harm to the system itself. We're talking a lot about like the people who may or may not be able to vote in the future. And I don't, and I think that that's kind of the opposite order of events because in order for people to vote in the future, you have to have county administrators and machines present to facilitate that. <laughs> so if we focus on the end, like the the end game, as opposed to the mechanics of the game, then we're never going to win the game. And so like that is, I think, the most troubling thing apart about this bill to me is that it will radically change machine requirements and the bureaucracy behind voting and the funding of voting. And we're not talking about any of those things. Instead, we're talking a lot about like 24 hour voting or gerrymandering and like gerrymandering hasn't even started in Texas yet. (laughs) So, you know, it's a bit frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, how, um, on, on the topic of gerrymandering, how how do you think like the most recent census is going to affect gerrymandering redistricting um i know in some states they've actually lost representatives um but yeah you know, how's it looking there you know in texas uh for for you guys 
Texas will gain at least one representative, I believe. Maybe two. No, I think we've gained two. Um, our growth has been in almost entirely in uh, non-white population and young people, uh, which doesn't surprise anybody, right? Like that's exactly what we thought was going to be happening in Texas. Like I live here. I can see it happening. Um, <laughs> and uh, um and so it didn't surprise anybody. I think the thing that surprised me most about the census data is it was not nearly as terrible as I thought it was going to be. And and I mean that in terms of like the data itself was not nearly as big of a mess as I as I assumed it was. It was okay. Like mm. it wasn't good, but it was fine. And um and so I, I I think that that the thing that folks don't talk about when they talk about the census data is that like. The fact that this was delayed for a couple of months has cascading effects on the process of drawing lines, um, gerrymandered or otherwise. And because like people think that the state legislature gets the maps and then like five dudes sit in a room, I guess, <laughs> with some pencils and a map and they're like, all right, Clint, I'll like, all right, Steve. Let's let's make a line right here, and like it, it's actually way more complicated than that. And like they there was like math and GIS mapping, and then <laughs> the counties take it and draw the actual line. Like it, it's it, it's this is a several layer process, and so delaying the data by two months has delayed this this process that takes quite a long time. Mm. Um, and and I think what people also don't realize is that there are elections that are scheduled to comport with this process. Hmm. So a lot of states and counties are having to move some of their local elections or decide that they will be, that the election will stay and that the old lines will simply apply for another term. And so there are a lot of school boards, a lot of city council, a lot of county commissioners courts that um, have elections in this year that have been scheduled for the assumption that redistricting would be done by like February. And instead it's going to be done probably in March or April. And so they're having to push elections back or just do them under the exact same lines as before. And so th this is actually causing a little, like some amount of like appropriate consternation. <laughs> Mm, wow. Yeah. So um, I, I guess more more broadly looking at sort of the, the national voting scene, um, I know the House just passed um, the John Lewis voting rights um, bill. And, and, I, and I remember, I think the last time you and I spoke, you you seem to be more inclined to like that one versus like the H.R. 1. Um, and I'm, you know, obviously, like, I, I don't think anybody is under the illusion that it's going to pass the Senate. <laughs> but uh but well, maybe you know like crazier things have happened i guess right so 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 what, what, what's the deal about the the john lewis voting rights uh bill yeah i mean so the john lewis voting rights bill would predominantly like it does it does a few things but predominantly it would restore preclearance which is a process that the supreme court overturned in 2013 in the shelby county decision and what they what preclearance allows is for the Justice Department to authorize changes to voting systems in specific areas. And the Shelby County decision 
did not invalidate that the idea that that should happen or that courts were allowed to do that. What they invalidated was the formula by which it was determined if a state was subject to this process, um, which had been written in 1965. And the justices were not wrong, right? Like that provision, that section of the Voting Rights Act probably was outdated. Um, So for example, like, there were counties in Florida that were not under preclearance, but there were counties in like New Hampshire that were, and the whole state of Texas was under it, but Indiana wasn't, and they were the first state to pass a voter ID law. So like, yes, it is true that like the racial landscape of America and the racism landscape of America does not look the same today as it looked in 1965. Like some places have become bad. Some places have gotten less bad. Seems fair. Um, the the So like, you know, on balance, that's like not a totally ridiculous argument. But instead of saying this will apply until like and Congress needs to come up with something better or like whatever, you know, appropriate way to say that would have been for the Supreme Court. They just invalidated that entire formula, which meant since 2013 that no one has been under preclearance. And so Texas that used to be able to, that used to have like sort of a safety net of the DOJ, like Texas could pass bananas things about voting and the DOJ would be like, nope, you got to fix that. And then they'd have to start all over. And so there was that safety net there. There has not been since 2013 in Texas or anywhere. And so this would restore that by sort of substituting in a new formula and restoring the idea of preclearance. Um, you know, it, it also establishes a few other minimums and, and, and freedoms that voters should anticipate, but that would be the most clear thing that it does. And I think that the reason that I have said that they should have been making this a priority all along is because it is not prescriptive in any sense, right? Like it doesn't say like the For the People Act or HR1, for example, does, right? Like everyone needs automatic voter registration and it needs to apply to the following offices. Like that is an incredibly specific command to give states. This is instead like make whatever decision you want, the DOJ will intervene if they need to. (laughs) And that is like far less prescriptive and allows states to kind of carry on without radically changing or spending money on anything while also providing some measurable level of protection against poor choices. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes. Cause, cause it's like, it, I understand everything that, that you, you, you said there. Um, but it's like the way I think the Senate, um, especially the minority in the Senate is going to spin it is going to be, you know, like, like why do we need to change our election systems? You know, for, kind of for the same reasons that a lot of, Democrats say, hey, Georgia, hey, Florida, why do you have to change your election stuff, you know, after you just had the most, you know, significant, highly turned out, you know, elections ever? And and I can see the Republicans kind of saying the same thing about the the John Lewis voting rights bill, you know. So, like, is, is there is there an easy explanation? Yeah, I mean, you know, this is this is kind of a hard like we have to be able to hold two things in our mind at one time, which is that one The 2020 election, in fact, was secure and accurate. But the fact that an election is secure and accurate is not the only thing that we need elections to be, right? Like, 
it is true that it was secure and accurate. And the, the, so, and so the second thing we need to hold in our mind is that it was secure and accurate because a lot of people did a lot of stuff that they should never have been expected to do. So it should not have been that two nonprofit organizations had to disperse $350 million to counties in order to make sure that they all had gloves. It should not have been that the, that the federal government had to disperse another $650 million to the states. Like we're talking about almost a billion dollars that had to go from either nonprofits or government and be dispersed down to counties so they could afford to do this election. So when people say like, well, it was the most secure election ever, you're like, yeah, we put a billion dollars into it <laughs> overnight. So that makes sense to me. Like my house would be a damned fortress. <laughs> but like those things that we bought with that money go away, right? Like it's not like they bought new voting machines, right? It's not like they bought billions of reams of paper for ballots, right? What they bought was like gloves and hand sanitizer and <laughs> like plastic shields we thought we all needed for a while, like <laughs> a bunch of vote by mail products that were useful during a pandemic, but probably not when we were not in a pandemic. And now they're back to having the exact same system that they had before. And so, yes, it was secure. It's a freaking miracle that it was. And now we're back to square one. And so we have to think hard about not only the security and the reliability of the elections, but also about the experience that we want voters to have when they vote. And I and that sounds like a fluffy thing to be concerned about. We're just like, oh, Jessica really wants people to vote and enjoy themselves. Like, that's true, I do. Um, but I also think that being able to vote and being able to vote efficiently and without being made to feel like you've committed a crime are actually like a really important part of the social contract we all get up <laughs> and participate in every day. Like if I have to be a voter, then I should understand what I'm doing. I should feel comfortable doing it and accessing that right that I have. And then also I should see some measurable return for that time. And so I think that if we're not focusing on sort of like the experience voters have and the the systems on which they have that experience in a real way that is both focused on security, but is also focused on accessibility and is also focused on, you know, positive interactions with your local community. I, like, I think we need to be, be moving in both directions. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, um, um, I, I couldn't help but notice you've got a pillow there. Is that a is that a my pillow pillow? It is not. It's not a my pillow. <laughs> it is. It is a threshold pillow. <laughs> got it. Got it. Got it. From Target in like 2012. <laughs> Um, I've been, I've been debating actually, cause, uh, I, I don't know, maybe it's just all the advertisements or something, you know, cause I, I've been reaching out to a lot of my friends. Uh, I'm like, are, are, are the, my pillow pillows comfortable? Cause like they're on sale right now, (laughs) you know, like, and I'm considering buying one. So like part of my needs the money, his company is suffering. (laughs) I know. Um, I mean, yeah. Good dominion. Dominion's on her, on his tail, huh? Oh yeah, it's in like six months. It's going to be Dominion Pillow, and that's what we'll be. And, I, and at that point, I might buy one because yeah. <laughs> Dominion because Pillow. Like 
<laughs> this is ridiculous. Um, what has the? I'm curious though. Like, what's the response been? Should you buy one? Are they comfortable? Yeah. So it's weird. Like, <laughs> this is going to sound really weird. Uh, most of my Trump supporting friends say they're comfortable. Most of my non-Trump supporting friends say they're <laughs> not, and and they've bought one. And I'm like. Like, have pillows become partisan? <laughs> like, like comfort <laughs> levels on pillow? <sighs> this is, that is so funny. I Well, I mean, I know that the concept of them is that, like, it's just a bunch of foam mm-hmm. that's, like, ripped up into small pieces that you can contort into any shape that you want. And I, and I feel like if you don't move at all when you sleep, then that could be good. <laughs> but if you're, like, me and you roll around, like, mm-hmm. you know, a sockum bopper or whatever. <laughs> I would find myself like choked by my own pillow at some point, probably. Yeah. I don't know that. I'm not going to buy one. Yeah. Um, but here we are. Yes. Yeah. They, they, they have like different comfort levels and they like rate them like with different colors and stuff. And like for me, like I move, I mean, I, it's, I basically do performative dancing when I'm sleepy just because like <laughs> I move so much. So I, I don't know. I, I, I might, I might bite the bullet. Although like they have like $9 shipping and I'm just like $9. Come on. Like that's crazy, you know? <laughs> so, but you know, like I'm, 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 I I, I want to I I'll consider it like a an experiment. Maybe I'll I can write it off, like charge it to the podcast, or I don't know. I'll I'll have to figure that one out. But beautiful. Uh, anyways, but hey, uh, thank you so much, Jessica. Uh, your uh, website, votebeat.org.com. It is dot org dot org. Oh wow! Because you guys just recently like updated your website, right? Like we did, and actually we are updating it again, uh, and it will, <laughs> it will, it will, it will, it will become its final self. Uh, form. <laughs> yeah, it will take its final form, I believe, on Monday. Um, yeah. So stay tuned for that. Um, we've we've selected a lovely aubergine uh, color. As I was our- wondering what it was like a purple. I was wondering like that's a weird, that's an interesting plan? color. Um, we thought it was the most politically neutral color, and <laughs> and so that is what it is. Uh, and I like it. Our our shirts are are aubergine. It's, is is and I enjoy saying that word aubergine. Mm, aubergine, so, yeah. We feel very feel very fancy. You know that that color is. Um, so my my brothers in a uh, predominantly black fraternity called the uh, Omegas. And that's oh, yes, basically I'm their... with fraternity. That was at my yeah. college. Yes. Yeah. That that's basically that looks almost like the color, except maybe a little bit matte-ish. Um, so that was it's the first thing I thought of. Vibes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, okay. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. This is really fun. I yeah. yeah. Am, I'm happy to come back anytime. So just keep me posted. I'll be on time. Next. All right. Cool. <laughs> Thanks, Jessica. We'll uh, we'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Bye.